1: First off-season edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast has arrived in 2017. What on earth? How? <laughs> in what
0: way? Uh, That's it, just the way things go. This is like one of those weird times where there really isn't minor league baseball things going on. Yeah. There, there's instructs, which, you know, if you talk to anybody in baseball, they're, every, you know, they're all involved in instructs right now. Um, it's not exactly something we're going to be talking about too much unless we get some info on what happens down there in Florida and Arizona. Uh, I know Red Sox and I think maybe the twins have both kind of curbed their instructs because of uh, hurricane related issues. So not a heck of a lot going on
1: right now. Um, but I mean, that just means we have more time to review the season that was. We do. And uh, we're going to do that here coming up in just a little bit with the second ranked prospect in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, John Duplantier, who will join us from Phoenix. And we'll tell you why that is as soon as we talk to John coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, But before we dive into episode number 129 of the show before the show, big thanks to you for tuning in wherever you found us. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are now on Google Play. We're on the Stitcher app as well. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription and all those fun places and you can find all past episodes and everything there and at MILB.com slash podcast, and uh, we'll be with y'all off season. Like we were saying last week, we're not going anywhere just because the minor league season has wound down. We'll be here with you through the the doldrums of the pre-AFL days and then the doldrums of the post-AFL pre-spring training days, and uh, we'll be here. We're not going anywhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, there will still be plenty to talk about even then. It will be more preview stuff. Um, that's the thing
1: about doing this job for a couple
0: of years. You kind of realize, like, yeah, oh, man, what are we going to do? And then it fills up just naturally. Very naturally you know, and very quickly. Wi- yeah, winter meetings, trades, whatever happens. Rule five draft. We'll draft we'll rule five draft eligibility, all that kind of stuff. It fills up not
1: much faster than you expect. It does. Um, so... We'll uh, we'll get started. We're going to recap uh, a bunch of the 2017 season. Sam and I were going over some different ways to uh, to try to encapsulate what happened this year, and Sam had this idea um, to go through our own our very own All Star teams for the 2017 season. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go um, all nine positions. Well, all eight field positions, one utility slash DH player, one starting pitcher, one relief pitcher. And that's uh, and these are all binding. This is all. You all, this is the biggest honor of your careers for those of you that we
0: obviously. <laughs> yeah, we won't, we won't Congratulations. even publish this anywhere. You'll, you'll need to hear your own name. Right. I mean, how often does that happen? Right, exactly. This is kind of inspired. Other places do this. Like, we're not the first to do this, but like, this, we're the fir- first time we're doing it on the podcast. Um, Doing our all-MILB all all teams? All-MILB teams? How do you teams? want to call this? Yeah,
1: let's call it the all-MILB teams. Yeah. All-MILB.com teams. I like it. There we go. Yeah. We'll have to
0: come up with stats or like the stats department to make that a designation on somebody's player
1: page. Yeah, I like just that. Sneak that on. There. I like it. Name to podcast all MILB teams. <laughs> um, so before we get started, there's a good chance that we'll, we'll double up on some of these guys. Sam and I have only uh, talked about very few guys that we have just to see. Uh, who we had where but we have not gone over every position so there is a chance that we're going to double up uh, on some guys over the course of these teams and I would imagine that the first guy is probably one of those as we'll get started with catcher on this inaugural edition of our all MILB teams and uh, I went with Francisco Mejia which I'm assuming you did too. I did not. Hey, fantastic! Then we're starting off on the right foot. Francisco Mejia, uh, this year the Cleveland Indians prospect. Last year, of course, we remember the the 50 game hitting streak. This year, goes up to Double A Akron, holds his own very well there. Two ninety seven, three forty six, four ninety the slash line. Uh, but did really well defensively to a nine ninety one fielding percentage as a catcher throughout 30 percent of potential base stealers. He is my pick. Sam, your pick. We're off on a strong foot.
0: Yeah, mine is, is Danny Jansen uh, okay. in the Toronto Blue Jays system, who just hit everywhere he he went this year. Um, a, a guy who had experienced some injuries in the past, he was a 16th-round pick in 2013, hit 218 last year between uh, Class A Advanced Dunedin and uh, rehab stint at rookie-level Blue, Bluefield. This year, climbed three different levels, played 104 games, so that's the first time he played more than 57 in a season yet as a pro hit 323 with a 400 on base percentage, 484 slugging, uh, 10 home runs only struck out 40 times in 104 games, walked more than that actually walked 41 times. Um, really became a, an all-around offensive player. Um, not necessarily you know doesn't isn't a well-rounded prospect in terms of you know he's not a great defensive catcher necessarily uh, quite yet. He, he can certainly be average there. Um, But the way he kind of popped this year after a guy who had never hit higher than, you know, 282 at any level before this and then hit, uh, you know, 369 in Dunedin, 291 at New Hampshire and 328 at Buffalo, uh, really climbed the ladder. You know, he, he isn't going to topple Mejia or Carson Kelly as, you know, the top catching prospect in the game quite yet. One season's not going to do that. Um, but, you know, as far as having, I think, the best season by a minor league catcher this year, Danny Jansen's my pick. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll we'll move on to first base. I think there's probably going to be some agreement on this one, um. So I'm going to say Christian Walker. Where okay. do you stand?
1: I'm going to go Reese Hoskins, but I very much Christian Walker was the other one that I had on the board. He was kind of my uh the guy who went down to the finals. Um, I went Reese Hoskins, but Christian Walker, fantastic season.
0: Yeah, Christian Walker um, led all of minor league baseball in extra base hits, uh, led in RBIs. We talked about him. You know, loyal listeners will remember he was my pick to win the Bowman Award. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we we kind of handicapped that, and then AJ Reed went on a tear in the last couple of weeks to to take it. But you know, finished with 32 home runs, uh, nine triples, 34 doubles, 114 RBIs in 133 games. I'm not saying RBIs is necessarily something we should always measure performance on, but that kind of sticks out to just how important he was in that Reno you know, lineup. Hit 309, 382, 597 was his slash line, which worked out to a 980 OPS. Um, just crazy numbers. Obviously, he's going to get a bounce from being in Reno. And, um, you know, that that certainly worked out in his favor this year. He had an OPS of 1.109 at home compared to 845 on the road. But, uh, you know, get even when taking all of that into account, it was still a crazy season for Christian Walker. We certainly put him back on the map after he'd kind of fallen off it uh, after a couple of years in the, the Orioles system. Um, so, this is being his first year with the D-backs, a really strong first step. So, that's Walker, but why Hoskins outside you know, of Major League stuff? Right,
1: obviously. exactly. Um, you know, it was just a, a well-rounded season for him. He's going to get all the headlines for what he's done at the Major League level, and that's obviously duly deserved. But uh, A Lehigh Valley, season-long 115 games, 284, 385, 581 the slash line, 29 homers there. Um, the thing I really liked, he got better – as the season went along after struggling in July, he was good in, in April, May, and June, great in April, kind of started to tail off, but then bounced back really strong toward the end of July, and the beginning of August. That's what netted him that promotion to the big leagues, and I like, you know, again, we're not basing this on what a guy has done in the major leagues, but I like finishing off on a strong note at the minor league level and then being able to carry that over once you get promoted and do the historic things that he's done in the major league level so far is uh, just kind of justifies the, uh, the strong season in triple a for Reese Hoskins. Um, second base. I went with Garrett Hampson of the Lancaster jet Hawks in the California league, who was uh, sort of overshadowed by Brendan Rodgers for the first half of the year. And then I think probably flew under the radar elsewhere, but he was my pick. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a minute, who'd you go with? I went with Scott
0: Kingery just, it's kind of funny because I feel like we kind of lost momentum with him by the end of the year just because we had talked him up so much at the beginning of the year, the way he popped with his power and how we weren't expecting that. And, um, you know, even he said he wasn't expecting that for a while, but he ended up with 26 home runs uh, this year between double A AA and triple A adding in twenty nine steals uh you know, he said on this podcast earlier this year from the Futures Game, he's not going to lose the moniker of Scotty Jetpacks anytime soon. Adding that power just really rounds out his his offensive capabilities. Um, showed off everything else as well. You know, 304 average, 530 slugging, 889 OPS. Um, this is not a guy who you know took advantage of Redding or or only took advantage of Redding. You know, he hit once he got to Lehigh Valley, uh, hit 294 there with eight home runs and 10 steals. So he might be. The most exciting second base prospect in the game right now. That might be kind of damning with ramp praise. You know, normally we we don't think of really really good second base prospects. They're usually shortstops move over to second. Um, but with the way he's added power, the way he continues to have a really solid hit tool, and the you know as quick as he is, he could still steal 30 bases. You know, at the upper levels, working into the majors. So uh, Kingery really popped for me this year. But I want to hear about why you chose Hampson over.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, just a really well-rounded season um, for a guy who, for the first half of the year, Brendan Rodgers is their top prospect in the Colorado system and is blowing up Bats 400 for the first half of the season. Um, but, you know, Garrett Hampson was right behind him, and I really liked the the double play tandem that those two formed together. And the other thing that I liked is that Hampson – really did not have a lull. Um, July, a bit of a struggle, but he, for the most part, the OPS was consistent. The average was fairly consistent throughout. Uh, and then he finished on a Terry bat at 375, 421, 563 in August. But just all all facets of the game seemed to come together. Overall slash line 326, 387, 462. The sneaky thing about Garrett Hampson as it was with a lot of guys on that Lancaster roster. He stole 36 bases in 40 attempts. That team ran a ton. They were successful the vast majority of the time, it seemed like. Um, So just a really, really good player – I, I think he will still fly under a lot of people's radar, and he is kind of the case of a guy who he played a lot of shortstop as well, shortstop turned second baseman, um, like you noted, Sam. But uh, I really liked his campaign, and he's a, he's a fun guy to watch. I've had an eye on him for a while. as a, a Long Beach State product, which has produced so much good middle infield talent, um, but really showed why he's got a, a pretty high ceiling this year
0: yeah and one thing i always notice on, on twitter is whenever we tweet about a long beach state person just all of long beach state twitter yeah! is very active and gets very excited um so hopefully they pick up on this podcast and we get the <laughs> long beach uh bum you know bump i guess as it were um short stop should we just count to three and say it at the same time
1: um how do you how do you know that we uh went the same way i i how okay, I know? want to hear who you have then,
0: because I feel like yours is going to be more contrarian
1: than mine is. No, I think we'll probably count to three and say the same. Dude. Okay. Okay. Right. Ready? One, One two, two, three. three. Boba Bob. <laughs> All right. Jinx. I would say <laughs> Fernando Tatis Junior. was my other guy. I, you know, your prospect crush is on Ronald Acuna. I, I think mine is on Fernando Tatis Junior. Now, um, I loved him. He was my my secondary selection. Um, but Bobichet is man. He is fun, and that I mean it's a it's a historic season.
0: Yeah, and I think – I can't remember which one it was. I think it was Baseball America might have pushed Bichette over to second base. He got some time there, um, but they put him at second just so they could get Tatis in at short. They're both very deserving guys. I just can't shrug off a 362 average for a season. Like, the guy hit three eighty four over Lansing uh, and won the Midwest League batting title despite not being there after the Futures game because his he was so far ahead, uh, you know, ruled 922A. As we discussed before, just you know, allowed him to win a Midwest League bag title when it wasn't even close uh, to anybody else in that league. But not only that, you know, hit 14 homers, stole 22 bases, um, you know, four triples, 41 doubles, which is kind kind of crazy. Uh, you know, th- it, as much as we like to talk about this guy, again, by the end of the year, you kind of get fatigued with him because you just keep bringing him up. But he was a second-round pick last year. You know, 66th overall, 65 teams. Or, you know, there were 65 players picked in front of him. There were concerns about him coming into the season. Uh, you know, now he's 19. He's he felt like the senior member of the Bash Brothers for the guy we're probably going to talk about at third base. Um, but you know, lots of teams had a, a chance to take this guy, and he, the way he's taken off, you know, now number the, the number 26 overall prospect in the game uh, is kind of crazy. So. Yeah, this this felt like a year of Bichette, and I can't wait to see what happens with him going forward. Because if if this is what happens when he answers questions, okay, we, now we have more questions. How what is he going to do to answer those? Or is this just going to be the one year in which he really popped, and then we kind of teams learn about him and make adjustments? So, um, but yeah, no doubt that you can't you can't just slag off a 362 average like yeah. that. As much as we want to look at everything else, he he was just too good to be overlooked in this spot.
1: I agree. Um, You know, I think that pretty well covers it. Third base, uh, we're not going to be in agreement if the selection on your side is who you alluded to in that answer. Okay,
0: so yeah, so mine is Vlad Jr. Okay, I figured
1: Um, we would end up talking about Vlad anyway, so I did not pick him, but I like it.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I think there's arguments to be made elsewhere, and I'm gonna. I'll hold off on who my number two guy was until hearing who you said. Uh, But Vlad led minor league baseball this year, at least my minor league full season guys, uh, with a 425 on base percentage this year, 13 homers, uh, 910 OPS. Again, doing the same thing that Bichette did half the year at Lansing, half the year at Class A advanced Dunedin. He got even better at Dunedin than he was at at Lansing. Uh, Bichette regressed a little, which is fine. That's what you expect, especially going to the FSL, which is a pitcher's league. He actually got better. He hit 333 with a 450 on base percentage over 168 at bats, 48 games uh, with the Dean Blue Jays, which is just crazy. That means, again, he's learning, you know, he's taking things in. He he's learning about pitchers, how to attack them, how to be patient, all that kind of thing. Uh, It still blows my mind that he's walked 76 times and only struck out 62 times this year. You don't see that almost among anybody not named Joey Votto Yeah, uh, to see that You know, for a kid who is still 18, he's not turning 19 until next March. uh, is just mind-boggling to me. Um, That's not the only reason why I put him here. This is not like an all-prospect list or anything like that. I legitimately think Vlad had the best season amongst the third basemen this year in the minors. But I'm willing to be swayed, so who do you add, Tyler?
1: Um, You know what else is funny, too, is you kind of think back on Vlad Guerrero Sr., and especially late in his career – You just felt like, oh, he's the guy who swings at everything, Vlad Guerrero. He's hitting balls at bounce, and he's hitting them out for home runs. And he had that home run in the All-Star game in Pittsburgh in which he hit a ball that was basically at his shoulders. Vlad Guerrero Sr., in his career, struck out 985 times. He walked 737 times. That's a pretty damn impressive ratio. So that's something that carries over. Yeah, the thing that Vlad Senior
0: always had that I think we forget is that everybody thinks like, oh yeah, he used to swing at shoes at it or right. pitches at his shoe tops. He would make contact on them. Right. The the guy may have had the, one of the best hand eye coordinations I've ever seen. You know, he decided, yes, I'm going to swing at things because I know I can make contact. With. He's not like a free swinger now. You know, with the grip and rip and get it in the air and see what happens. And if you strike out 30 percent of the time, but also hit 35 home runs, it doesn't matter. He was trying to make contact with all those swings, right. um, and he was making loud contact and all that kind of stuff. Vlad Jr. is a different player. He's more patient. Yeah, he's only gonna swing when it's in the zone where he can drive it. You know, maybe the day comes when he decides to get more aggressive. But if it's gonna work out the way it has, Blue Jays aren't gonna touch it. They're gonna just say, "Listen, look for your pitch. When you get it, hit it, rip it do that whole thing. Don't swing at unnecessary pitches and and do what works for you." Because obviously. It's worked extremely well so far.
1: Those, I mean, Blue Jays fans, it was toward the end of the year. It's been rough, uh, but that is, there is a lot to be excited about in that system. Um, and uh, if you like big – massive home runs. You're going to have a whole lot of fun watching those two guys continue to climb. Um, at third base, I went Nick Senzel of the Cincinnati Reds. Um, yeah, he's 62 games, uh, class a advanced and then 57 games at double a, and he got better after graduating from Daytona when he went up to Pensacola slash line. In the Florida State League, was three hundred five, three seventy one, four seventy six. In Double A, 560. And he's in the Southern League. I mean, he's hitting in Pensacola. It's not like he's you know jumped to a launching pad. Um, so really impressive. And sometimes you see you know guys who are destined to be very good major league hitters. They get better as they climb the ladder in the minor leagues. I'll never forget that about Jason Hayward. Jason Hayward, the first team I ever worked on in the minor leagues. He was there. You could see the tools were there. You could see that he was going to be successful. But he didn't really blow you away with the numbers when he was getting things started in his minor league career at the Class A advanced level. Then jumps up a level and all of a sudden blows up with A Mississippi that year. Uh, that is a case of guys who sometimes are so advanced, when they get to a place where pitchers are working more around the zone – then they start having more success because you're not having to waste swings going after stuff because you know somebody's not going to come into the strike zone with you, et cetera. Hayward, for example, that year, 296 average and an 888 OPS, a Class A advanced, 47 games then up a A, 352 average, 1057 OPS. Um, obviously, he has turned into a ghost offensively at the major league level, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but Nick <laughs> Senzel, really, really impressive season, and the guys who get better as they climb the ladder are always guys who really impress me.
0: Yeah, and the thing about Senzel for me this year was I, I thought he had the chance to, after you know 2016, Dan's response Swanson and Andrew Benintendi both climbed to the majors in their first full seasons. I thought Senzel had that potential. Uh, he certainly showed it by the end. But what I think he had different about himself than those other two guys, um, Senzel just seemed like a safe pick at number two overall coming out of Tennessee uh, when he was taken by the Reds in 2016. He seemed like a safe pick. Like He's going to be a decent hitter. Probably something like 280, 290, something like that. He's gonna hold himself well at third base, do everything you want. Not not necessarily pop, but he'll be a solid cornerstone, you know, on which you can build your team. Now he's he's more than that. I mean, there's no denying it. He might be one of the best pure hitters in all of minor league baseball right now. Uh, He showed plenty of pop: 14 homers, 40 doubles. You know, those doubles will translate into homers. Now we're talking about a guy who could potentially hit 310. You know, with an OBP that's gonna be flirting around 400, uh, potentially 20 homers. I mean, now we're talking, like, consistent all-star level, not just good, solid contributor. He's done certainly more than that. And with the way he, like you said, built up to that, that's going to build up a lot of off-season momentum in terms of the way we look at him. The more we study him, the more, you know, the the taste he left in our mouths is much better than um, what it had been necessarily at Daytona, which was obviously solid, but... Yeah, he certainly worked himself into that conversation as having one of the better offensive seasons, third baseman or anybody, really.
1: One of the uh, things that I love most about coming into this episode today is Sam and I each showed our biases in what markets we grew up in because uh sam said well i picked a dh and i said oh well, i picked a utility guy so it's pretty much the same thing <laughs> <laughs> you're just an american league guy i'm a national League guy um i went with ryan mcmahon of the uh, hartford yard goat slash albuquerque isotope slash now currently colorado rockies um really struggled in double a last year goes back conquers that level 326 average 926 ops and then goes up to Triple A." and explodes. Ryan McMahon in 70 games up with A Albuquerque batted 374. Yes, offensively friendly environment, offensive friendly league, but a 374 average, a 1023 OPS. He played 37 games at home and he batted 416 with an 1150 OPS. And that's where you start thinking, oh my goodness, look at those numbers. It's like Coors Light down there, blah, blah, blah. On the road, Batted 329 with an 886 OPS. The pop was still there. Six homers away from home, eight at home in Albuquerque. But just across the board, it was like you could not get Ryan McMahon out. Every night, it seemed like it was a three hit, four hit, five hit night for Ryan McMahon. Um, and not only that, but he plays a bunch of different positions now. Everybody loves versatility. That's something that he has really, really embraced. Played first base, third base his natural position. He's even worked in at second base nowadays. So uh, he was my guy there.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, that's funny that I, you know you call him utility man. Uh, I would have called him DH. You know, obviously that speaks to what we what you mentioned like our upbringing. But yeah, that the fact that if you were to actually build a lineup here in terms of how you're going to put these guys together, and you weren't allowed the DH. I think you would take McMahon just because you know you are going to be able to plug him into that infield almost anywhere. Um, you know whether he'll be able to stick at second or first or third or whatever. Going forward, that's a conversation we can have a different day. But for something like this, um, him in the utility spot is kind of perfect. That's why I kind of think like my pick for DH is also kind of perfect. My pick is Willie Calhoun. Yeah. Um, who. Is almost the perfect designated hitter. We don't know what he's going to be defensively, not because like McMahon, he's a utility guy. It's he's he played second base, you know, in the Dodger system, almost out of necessity. They, you know, he doesn't have exactly the best hands, the best range for that position, but that's what he had played before. That's where he was comfortable. Uh, moves to the Rangers, moves to the outfield, moves to left field. Um, you know that okay, that's fine. Um, he can handle himself there. His arm isn't asked too much. Um, but looking at him going forward, it's probably good that he went to the Rangers because now the DH is a possibility, but defensive stuff aside, he just had such a killer the year this year. He was sixth in total bases in the minor leagues. Uh, like Tyler said about McMahon, you know, McMahon played in the PCL half the year. Calhoun played there all year. Um, so we will give a little bit of an asterisk for that, but you know, 31 home runs, um, that was tied for fifth most in the minors this year. Um, 27 doubles on top of that, three triples on top of that. Uh, you know, hit an even 300 with a 355 OBP, 572 slugging percentage. What really strikes out to me is I'm looking at the leaderboard for home runs right now. All of these guys, except for Austin Hayes, amongst like the top 10, um, all struck out more than 100 times, except for Calhoun. He only struck out 61 times in 128 games. That is
1: really impressive
0: which is not at all the narrative you're hearing now um, You know, for for power guys. it's If they're going to be swinging for the fences, they're going to be doing all the time. They're going to get plenty of swings and misses like I said earlier. He's not that type of player, which is fascinating. Uh, I feel like if you could combine him and Joey Gallo, that would be the perfect DH for the Rangers. They have both of them. How they're going to make that work is going to be interesting going into next spring training, but um, both of them are in that organization. Calhoun is kind of tailor-made for this DH spot on this all-mill team um so he he's my pick there but yeah it's gonna be real interesting to see what happens with him going forward as he gets more accustomed to that Texas system
1: I like it moving to the outfield next I think it's I think you're up
0: yeah yeah so for the outfield do we really need to say anything more about Ron Lacuna
1: no probably not no, no
0: Lacuna, I mean he super stud Super stud this year. Climbed from Florida to Mississippi to Gwinnett. Got better at every stop. Yada yada yada. You're gonna hear us talk more about him as the season goes, as the off season goes on, as we get into awards territory. Or we'll, we'll have our Milby special episode. Uh, we can talk about him more then. Um, so come back for that. Or if you've listened before, you probably already know this stuff anyways. He's my first pick. Is he was definitely on your list, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, not okay. not my list of like people that I would leave in my last will and Testament, like with you, I'm assuming with your, with your prospect crush.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. But, can, but he was definitely on my list. Out my, my wishes after I pass. <laughs> I mean, that's a safe pair of hands at least. And it would oh, happen quickly That's true and forcefully.
1: Um, so these he's both of our first ones. Who's your second one? So I went, uh, with Derek Fisher as my second okay. one of the, uh, the, the, the problem with the outfield There are so many guys who are so deserving of being in that group. But Derek Fisher, similarly to Ryan McMahon, it just seemed like Derek Fisher every single night was doing something huge. Only played in 84 games at the AAA level with Fresno in the Houston system because he's played in 47 big league games. But a 318, 384, 583 slash line, 21 homers, 66 RBIs, stole 16 bases. He just seemed like a guy who was in the mix every single night for that Grizzlies team.
0: Yeah, he was – he had one of the most, most well-rounded packages of, in the game this year, maybe outside of Acuna, um, which is fascinating to me because I would love to know how he's going to fit in that Astro system going forward. Th- that outfield is so good and so packed right now, and Fisher looked like he was knocking down the. And obviously, he's there. I mean, he's a, he's a good player, and he deserved as much pl- major league playing time as he got this year. How they're going to handle him going forward is going to be really fascinating. Good problem to have for sure. Um, but yeah, Derek Fisher was actually my third choice. My second choice was Austin Hayes who led minor league baseball this year in, uh, in total bases with 310. i um, just beating out Christian Walker in that aspect. Hit 32 homers, uh, 95 RBIs again, another guy who really jumped out this year. Uh, another breakout prospect, you know, he had, he was the 91st overall pick last year. Um, somehow packed on a lot of power this year, um, more than any of us were certainly expecting out of him. Forced his way to Baltimore, uh, which I thought was kind of a surprise. I, I feel like Baltimore's not exactly known for pushing their prospects that quickly, uh, especially their hitting guys. Um, but they did it with Hayes, and what that means for him going forward is going to be really interesting. But again, you know, for somebody to hit 32 home runs in 128 games in his first season split between class A advanced Frederick and double A Bowie uh, is, is fascinating. And again, to lead minor league baseball in total base, just speaks to how solid a year it was for him. Well, he was my third. So, Oh, well, okay. Derek (laughs) Fisher was my third, man. Look at the
1: synergy we have here. This
0: is impressive. I'll I'll just throw out also Jose Siri. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Definitely another one. And I'm not saying that just because of the hitting streak, which was obviously spectacular and, you know, ended in dramatic fashion and all that uh, at 39 games. But he was another guy who just seemed to really figure everything out. Um, 293 average this year, 871 OPS. But he hit 24 homers and had 46 steals. Normally, though, that, that's killer. Like, you you just get so excited. You know, we saw that with a couple of guys this year, 2020 guys, Scott Kingery being one of them, Fernando Tatis being another, Ronald Acuna being another one of those. So it seems like there were a bunch of those guys this year. But under normal circumstances, I feel like Siri, you know, w- would pop a little bit more than he has. He might yeah. lose a couple of points because this is his second straight year at Daytona or Dayton, excuse me, Class A Dayton, uh, and last year did not go very well there. He hit 145 in 27 games and had to be bumped back down to Billings. But, you know, he's still 22 years old, just turned 22 in July, so this is technically his age 21 season. Uh, you know, he, he would, if he was American instead of Dominican, this would have been a junior year for him in college. Um, so, you know, let this be a building block for him. Let him move forward. Um, but he would have been my fourth outfielder. That's not exactly an all-milled team. How that just works, but yeah, just missed the cut.
1: All right, we're gonna go one starting pitcher, one relief pitcher. Um, Will full admission. We have the same starting pitcher and double full admission. You'll hear from him coming up here in just a little bit. But in the interest of uh, mixing things up, rather than John Duplantier, I went with Michael Kopeck, the Chicago White Sox organization. Kind of needed a bounce-back year, um, had been questioned on people's radar as far as character, attitude, makeup, all that kind of stuff. Everybody knew that the stuff was there, but what was Michael Kopeck going to be like as a guy maturing? By all accounts, it seems like he's done great in that regard, and he was fantastic on the mound this year as well. 119 in a third-innings pitch for AA Birmingham. He struck out 155, uh, a sub-3 ERA. Terrific season. A guy that I got a chance to talk to I think back in July for a story and was really impressed by just the, the kind of full attention that he had given to rounding out parts of his game, nearing the upper minors really impressed me. And uh, it seems like a guy who's got a, a very clear picture of who he wants to be as a, presumably a starter for Triple A Charlotte next year and a major leaguer in pretty short order.
0: Yeah. Uh, Kopech was definitely a, kind of on the short list, um, of guys I would consider also Alec Hansen in that group or in that organization rather a guy who struck out 191 and 141 in the third innings just freaking astonishing um but Duplantier who by the way we checked with that that is how you say his name which is awesome we did Plantier is so fun to say um but the guy posted a 1.39 ERA as anybody who knows my writing or or listens to the podcast will tell you You know, I'm certainly not a slave to a traditional stat like uh, ERA. But, you know, when his was so significantly lower than anybody else in the minors this year, and the fact that half of that came at the California League, the way he was able to dominate uh, there was really astonishing. So the 1.39 ERA, uh, 165 strikeouts in 136 innings, a whip below one, which is always a good indicator, uh, 0.98, you know, had some really solid control at 2.8 walks per nine. You'll hear us talk about that with him later. Um, Could not be more impressed by the season he had. Uh, You know, I think where other people kind of are allowed to come into the conversation and it's not just a, you know, discussion ender um, with, him is that you know the fact that he was a college guy he did start out at class a this year that's not exactly an aggressive assignment i would have liked to see him start the year at visalia and then move up to jackson in the southern league um just to see how that would test him obviously don't wouldn't have expected an era under two um so you know there are some caveats going on there um but i i can't blame him for the the way he reformed i'm sure the d-backs are super pumped about the way he performed this year and you know The the confidence you'll hear from him later probably could not have happened had he not started where he did and performed like he did.
1: Relief pitcher, which is, again, another one, kind of like the outfield. So many guys, good seasons, you can make an argument for a ton of guys. Um, I went with Gabriel Moya, who is now a member of the Minnesota Twins organization, started things in the Arizona Diamondback system uh, between Jackson and Chattanooga. He was traded in July. Forty-seven appearances, six and one record, zero point seven seven ERA. He struck out eighty-seven and fifty-eight in a third. September call-up to Minnesota. Now part of a playoff push for the Twins. Um, really impressive stuff out of the bullpen.
0: Mine was John Schreiber in the Tigers uh, organization. This is a guy who posted a zero point five four ERA, struck out seventy batters and walked only eight uh, in fifty and a third innings, which is just crazy. And what I really like about him too is that he did not give up a home run in that entire span either. Um, certainly not a guy who would have been necessarily on our radar. He was a 15th round pick last year out of Northwestern Ohio. Um, the fact that he started, all of this happened, by the way, at Class A uh, West Michigan. Um, so the fact that he was a Class A reliever, um, those guys can kind of get lost in the shovel. But when he was out guys the way he was at the clip he was, again, 70 in 15 to third innings, was certainly throwing in the strike zone only eight walks in that span. Uh, it's just kind of crazy video game ish numbers. Um, similar kind of story. You know, I, I wish, you know, he's 23 years old. I wish they could have pushed him to Lakeland at some point would have loved to see what would happen with him after that. But you know, uh, all the markers you would want out of a dominant reliever. Uh, 0.54 ERA 0.66 whip a 147 average against I could keep going um, And you know, that's how you put yourself on a map as a reliever You have to put up these these zany numbers that make everybody pay attention and and show that you are worthy of a spot in in the you know, the higher levels because starters, you know failed starters become relievers and failed relievers become free agents basically, so good first step for John John Schreiber and uh, we'll be interested to see where, where he can take this from here.
1: So that's it. Our 2017 All-MILB teams on uh, this latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Those are good squads. Those are good squads. We wouldn't be able to play against each other, though, because we share so many guys.
0: Yeah, well. Our whole outfield that, would have to go That just closer. blows up my idea of getting all these guys together on a field. It was very fires. possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have that just, kind of pull obviously i uh, know yeah we could just call them out hey can you be in fort myers on thursday and bring we got a fun little thing back? going on just bring yeah. all of
1: your equipment um so uh we're gonna hear from one of those guys coming up next which is some pretty good podcast work as well john Duplantier, who had a fantastic season and two different levels in the arizona diamondbacks organization joins the show to look back on 2017 and a whole lot more coming up next into the offseason we are headed down to uh cactus league and spring training and afl area but uh for a different reason where we are joined by the number two prospect in the arizona diamondbacks organization john Duplantier, who joins us after a breakout season in his second pro campaign between class a Kane county and class a advanced visalia in the california league john welcome how are you
2: I'm good. Thanks for having
1: me. Absolutely, man. It's great to talk to you. So, let's right out of the gate. Uh, congratulations are in order. You are actually right now in Phoenix to accept your award as D-backs minor league pitcher of the year. Uh, we're recording this actually on Tuesday. We ordinarily record on Wednesday, but I'm kind of glad that we're doing this one early because we get you in uh, in award mode. This When did you get this news? How long have you been in Phoenix? You're going to go to the game tonight. Uh, the D-backs at home, you'll be honored at that game. What does that mean to you in this your first full pro season and you already get a chance to, to be honored like this
2: Right, so uh, I guess it's been roughly two weeks now. Uh, Mike, Bar, our farm director, called me. Uh, I was at lunch with my mom, so he let me know so I could tell her the news. And um, I mean, it was just really cool. I was I was at lunch with my mom. We were just catching up, and I'd just gotten home from the season and uh, to get another award. She was she was super excited. She couldn't wait to my dad. And I mean, it's it's fun. The weather out here is nice. So we thought it was gonna be 100 something degrees and get out here <laughs> right now. 70s so we're walking around jeans and sweatpants and gonna go to the game tonight and and be comfortable you know so uh (laughs) kind of just a bunch of blessings in one for this, this these couple days.
1: Well, and at this stage, I mean, you're still so early on in your career, obviously, a third-round pick in 2016, 89th overall, um, last year limited because of your college workload, so you come out, your debut professional season, you put together a year like this, 136 innings, a combined ERA of 1.39 between two levels, a 12-3 and 3 record, 24 starts out of 25 total appearances. Um, coming into, let's say we go back, you know, six, seven months, we go back to, to March or to February, coming into this season your first full wire-to-wire year in the minor leagues could you have dreamt of something this good I mean obviously your, your standards are going to be high and you're going to expect a good year but 12 and 3 record 1.39 ERA 165 strikeouts and 136 innings I mean this is dominant stuff what would you if you could talk to yourself from back before the season and what do you think your reaction would be to a campaign like this
2: Ah. Uh. I could have told myself something like this was gonna happen, I probably told myself to shut up. Like, hey, man, quit playing. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: I'm trying to stay focused. Don't, 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 don't do that. Um, but um, I mean, yeah, I came to spring training. Uh, it's been mean, my first spring training and first full season. I kind of just came in, wanted to put my my, my nose to the grindstone and and just kind of focus day to day. And I mean. Really, it was like the biggest goal was to remain healthy and to and to, to get used to a five day rotation where I was going out there and making all starts. So, I mean, yeah, the the performance was 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 welcomed. Let's just say it, it wasn't necessarily a, a thought going into spring training like man I'm going I'm trying to kill it. It was just and let's prove to people we can stay healthy and and just make starts and get used to this, to the to the uh, to the rotation, the schedule, and everything takes care of itself. But yeah, the one three nine that kind of that kind of came out of came out of uh, a lot of guys' plans, so that was cool.
0: And uh, at, w- at what point this season did it feel like it could be a special season? I mean, you you only gave up one hit in your first outing, five scoreless innings uh, against uh, Clinton on April seventh. Uh, you know, you get promoted to vice you get a trip to the Futures Game. All these things that tell you it's a good season, but. Um, you know, at what point did it really feel special to you? Uh,
2: you know, it, it, it felt, it's kind of hard to explain. It never really, it never really felt like, or I never really felt like, man, I'm doing something absurd right now. I'm doing something special in a lot of people's eyes right now. It just, to me, it was like, I was just, I'm just going out, I'm just going out and trying to do my job. I'm just trying to, um, help the team I'm on at the time, help them win, um, some doubters wrong and, and and just, I mean, play baseball. So that's my ability, you know. Um, but when I came out, I mean, in college, I didn't have the best command. Uh, in general, I just kind of was a thrower. And, um, I mean, I had success doing it, but I, I wasn't really a pitcher necessarily in, in college. And I came out in spring training and then my first couple outings, I was like, man, I'm not really walking anybody. I'm throwing the ball where I want to. I was like, this could be fun. This could this – could, <laughs> I mean – this could this could get interesting, and so kind of had that thought back in my head. Um, I remember I was having conversations with my dad, and I mean, my dad and I we kind of talk about I'm like, that. I'm throwing I'm throwing fastball inside when I want to get in. I'm, I'm throwing it away when I want to be away. It's not just hey, I'm trying to throw a strike here. So um, once that trend kind of held, I was like, Yeah, I'm 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 kind of a finesse pitcher right now. It was uh oh, things can get things can get pretty cool.
0: And what allowed that switch to happen? I mean, it it sounds like something just kind of flipped a switch and you were just like, I can throw the ball where I want now. But what what type of work had you done, you know, in that first spring training for you or in those first couple months that allowed you to – or allowed that command to get so much better this year?
2: Well, one, I mean, body felt great. Um, I I very rarely was dealing with anything that was like, man, kind of 80 day Oh man, I just don't feel great. So I wasn't really thinking about my body. So I was just repeating, I was able to repeat and I didn't have to take any time off or, or not throw a certain day or say, you know what, let me ease off a little bit. So I was able to just kind of go and, and just worry about the work I was putting in and focus on the work rather than focus on how to get back to feeling good. Um, which I mean allowed me to kind of fine tune things, uh, repeat my delivery, uh, Get, stay on top of the ball hand positioning uh, working on spin and and kind of developing a confidence in myself and a trust that okay I'm I want to throw it there let's go there and I can get there you know um, haven't always been like that so once 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 I had this confidence of you know what if I'm if he sets up there I'm, I'm gonna get it there then it kind of just took off that way but um definitely just I think I think the, the foundation for everything has just been health, feeling good, and knowing I'm feeling good, and, and that's been that's lifted a burden off of my shoulders, my family's shoulders, I'm sure the D backs shoulders, and everybody's shoulders, you know. So, yeah.
1: John, take us back to the the middle of June. Um, You start things off nine out of your first 10 outings, I think, with Kane County where scoreless starts. Um, And then you get to the meat of the season and you make that jump. And the the low A to high A jump is one of the tough ones. High A to double A is a really tough one too, um, which will be coming up in your future at some point. And to make that jump mid-season for guys in a debut professional season can be really tough as well. But you go out and you have success pretty much right out of the gate uh, with Visalia. What was that experience? like to make you know not only your first jump but your first in-season jump and deal with a lot more advanced hitters and still be able to go in and really be able to put together strong outings right from the jump in the California league
2: I mean especially going to the California league where the ball is usually generally a hitters league it was it was a big confidence boost and uh, in, in terms of just it was just it was just, a, it was just a reinforcement you know not even a boost a reinforcement um I got out there and my first outing my first day, yeah, my first outing I went two and two thirds walked five and so I was like oh shoot here we go but then working with the pitching coach talking to talking to guys and, and talking to the to, to, to baseball guys in my life I was like man you know what? they like just trust your stuff go out there and, and you, you do what you do and, and so I did and um working with uh Jeff Maginaro um pitching coach in Vassalia I mean I just was able to learn a lot you know um just, I, I learned even more and kind of took it upon myself and with the help of uh, Badge, our pitching coach, uh, v. Hey, uh, our hitting coach, and Shelly, our manager, it was just, they were willing to teach me when I wasn't pitching and I just wanted to talk in the dugout or before games while I'm watching other team's VP or, or just any time I had a question, they were they were willing to answer it for me. Um, and so that just kind of kept me feeling like I had an edge and um, and just that, that kept that kept the train rolling for me. Um, and so I was just happy to, to get that first missy and jump and, and to keep and to keep rolling. because so I think that that spoke volumes to a lot of people. You
1: mentioned some of the guys, you know, members of that staff that you get a chance to work with and bounce stuff off of. And when you look at your your overall season numbers, not a whole lot of adversity stands out. But obviously, guys are going to go through stuff, especially in a, a first full season that, you know, you really got to figure out, all right, well, why did this happen? Why do hitters approach this like this? Um, you know, what am right. I doing wrong in this given circumstance? What was something that you had to, to tackle and learn from and try to get better from? Like I said, I mean, the numbers don't really show any situation in which you struggle, but I'm sure there was something that you thought like all right this is a, a new wrinkle this is something I got to conquer what was that
2: yeah it was um it was it was throwing it was throwing my, my off-speed for strikes more um it was throwing my off-speed strikes so historically or back in college I, I was spiked for a guy at Rice, and, and when I threw that pitch actually until the second half until the second half of this year so when I got promoted to vitalia I've never tried to throw a spike curveball for a strike. I never tried to throw a curveball for a strike. It was always I tried to back tip it, back point it the, in the dirt, swing and miss, and, and just, just throw it hard, you know. Um, but I noticed even in low A, guys started to take it. They would just they – would, they would take it and, and hit it. And, my, and uh, pitcher counts when I was way ahead and kind of worked their way back. And um, so I, I, I had to learn how to – you know o one Maybe even two-two flip flip a curveball in there, especially to lefty, freeze them. Get a, I mean, get a cheap strike, um, slider, uh, back foot to to lefties. It, it, it was something that I I need to work on, um, and then uh, just overall change-ups, consistency down. So I guess in, in in all, it's kind of just all my off-speed offerings, uh, throwing them for strikes, throwing them in counts where. I can steal a strike from a hitter, like a two oh change up to a lefty or or that two two or a sorry, a, like a two one or 0-0 curveball. So um, yeah, it was kinda like learning to pitch with something other than a than a fastball.
0: And I kind of want to get back to something you mentioned earlier about, you know, knowing that you were healthy this year. You know, there's a couple of things we should bring up. You know, you had a shoulder injury in college. You had a little bit of an elbow issue last year that didn't allow you to pitch much in the your first season in the D-back system. Um, you know, how did you kind of pre- uh, prepare health-wise last offseason and then, you know, just body maintenance, that kind of thing all season long to keep, you know, not only pitching well, but pitching deep into the season and seeing the season out? You know, throwing 137 innings like you did.
2: Yeah, so uh, I work out at a gym in the off season, uh, Fairchild Sports Performance in Houston, and they um, that's actually a lot of credit to helping me get healthy after this shoulder injury in college. And um, they're big on education, so when you're going through workouts or say, it's more of a rehab thing like it was when I first started there, um, they 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 teach you as you're as you're doing it. So. I mean, I was a kinesi- I, I was a kinesiology major at Rice, and so I, I kind of had a minor background. I took anatomy, I took physiology, so I kind of have a, a general understanding about how the body works. But then, the trainers at this gym, they're they're teaching you, as the, uh, they're teaching you while you're going through it, so you you know why you're doing certain things, and, and that was big for me because uh, if, in order for me to stay healthy, there's certain muscles, certain movements that my body's going to have to continue to make over the course of a long season. And if if they, if I stop being able to do those movements or those muscles stop working, that's when injury comes. So just just the overall education over over an all season while putting in the, the, the work, the vigorous work that we're, that we're doing, you know, it's just it all complements each other. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing in the off-season carries into the season for me uh, with arm care, which the D-backs, I feel like, They've done a great job with me. I have no complaints. I actually love the arm care and the, the stuff we do after we throw. So um, it's all been working for me, and I'm, we're going to keep that train rolling over.
0: And I just want to go to one other thing I think you said earlier was, you know, coming into the year, you wanted to prove the haters wrong. Um, you know, where exactly were you feeling that pressure from or or seeing that coming from, and, um, you know, what were you trying to prove wrong about what you had seen or heard uh, coming into the year?
2: Um, you know, it wasn't any, anything necessarily, I guess, personal towards me. Um, but I mean, guys, we, when we come from college, we're, we're 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 proud of where we come from. Um, I'm I'm proud to to be a Rice Owl, and to hear, I mean, whether whatever your stance is on on Rice pitchers in pro ball and and the the history we have, I just I want I made it a personal. Personal goal of mine to kind of alleviate that, you know. Um, I, I just it, it, it gets old hearing that, and so um, I wanted to prove that. Listen, I can stay healthy. Um, I can stay healthy, and I can pitch, and and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make it. And I'm gonna, hopefully the blue and white can take get a little bit off their uh some people off their backs, you know, because um, it's stressful. While you're there, you kind of hear it, and um, it may not take a toll directly, but that, the stress of hearing that and the stress of, of, I mean, hard classes, hard education, I mean, you don't, you don't really know how that affects a, a college athlete. So, um, yeah, I, I want to I prove that Rice pitchers can stay healthy. Um, I want to prove that I can stay healthy just because my injury history. And, um, I mean, I want to treat the D-Bash right and pitch for them because they, they, they gave me this opportunity.
1: Well, and that leads into uh, another topic that I noticed. Um, I mean, obviously, getting a chance to talk to you, it's obvious what a cerebral guy you are, a kinesiology major, taking all these classes that are a really hefty workload in college. And one of the notes on your bio page um, at riceowls.com is that you picked Rice over Yale, uh for your college ball and so many guys I mean go with the with the notion of I want to obviously get my education but this is a road for me and a pro ball whatever it's pl- pretty plain and evident that the education thing is a big component of what you were able to do at Rice and what you would have been able to do at Yale had you gone that route how difficult was that to juggle that though going to a place where that academic workload is going to be so tough. In addition to playing in a really competitive, really good program, what was it like being able to juggle that as a college athlete?
2: Um, my first year was rough, really rough. Uh, and I mean, every now and then you have, you have athletes that come in and they, they do really well, but first year's tough. You, you learn how to, I mean, it's not, it's that cliche that I always say, you have to be able to manage your time and time management, time management, and make sure you block out time to study and, do your sports, and, I mean, it was hard. Uh, I think my my first my first full season, my GPA dropped down to 2, 9 maybe, and then that kind of – I mean, my parents were about to whoop me. They wanted to – they, <laughs> they were – and um, – but then you kind of start to slowly figure things out, just like you do anything when you do it enough, and you start to figure out, okay, no, I, I can't go play ball at the rec. I, I really have to study um I'll, if i if i can get some good studying today in between classes instead of going and just hanging out and uh hanging out at the uh, at the uh in the locker room if i can go to the library night or to the uh, athletic center where we, where we have study hall if i can get this work in now then i can hang out later so you kind of just learn to take your take your uh take your losses in the study battle when you when you when you can and and um they, they do a really good job. I feel like Rice does a pretty good job of um, providing the tools and the, just the, the assistance needed uh, for athletes there. I mean if I ever needed advice, I could go to I um, name is Julie our academic advisor and she would she would she would give the advice she could and So you never felt like you were drowning but you definitely you definitely were you were doggy paddling for your life above water
1: and some people will hear oh man 2.9 gpa at Rice like that's nothing i'd be i'd be fine with that john in high school had a 4.32 gpa on the 4 scale so i think when you go like you know, thirty percent over the top possible mark. You can get fairly good uh, academic record. Um, let's, we're jumping around a little bit, but let's go back again. Uh, over the summer, you get a chance to go to the futures game and take a part right. uh, in a, a historic. Every year, it's a historic event because you know, two, three, four, five years from now, we're going to see so many of those dudes making big impacts in the major leagues. We already have with some of the guys who are in that game. Um, but that experience is so unique and so powerful for the guys who get to be a part of it. For you being on. That pitching staff is one thing, um, but to be on that roster as a whole with so many guys who – you know, Reese Hoskins was the cleanup hitter in that game for the U.S. lineup. He's yeah. offsetting rookie marks all over the place now his first month plus in the right. big leagues. Take us through that experience and what that was like to be a part of
2: that. That was one of the coolest things in my life, um, baseball wise for sure. It was – I was one of the that's, – that's something that not a lot of people get to experience, uh, and it's hard to put in words because, I mean, everybody kind of like how was it? And the only thing you can say is, dude, it was amazing. Um, I mean, you're sitting there with a couple for a couple days, and you just you treat like a big leaguer. Um, you treat like a big leader and you're sitting there, and everybody on the team is a stud. I mean, you're I mean, you're hanging out with studs all day, and guys who are, who are about to make a big league impact, who who've maybe already got called up. So it's just a lot of stories, a lot of camaraderie. Um, I mean, I still keep in touch with uh, a couple guys from the team, from 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 the USA team and the World team. So I mean, it's. It was just an experience that really you couldn't, you can't, you can't just draw that up without getting experienced.
0: All right, and we'll leave you on this one. Um, flash forward to to January. You know, it's it's cold. Baseball season is a little bit away, it's, but this season's also a little bit behind behind you. Preparing for twenty eighteen. How are you going to look back on this year and kind of remember it by? Like, what's the one moment or one thing you're going to take away from this year and kind of hope it's it sets. You up as a foundation for you know a, hopefully a long career to follow.
2: Uh, probably probably the overall consistency I had, um, and not necessarily with the with the lower ERA, um, the low ERA or the amount of hits or anything like that. It was it's it's mainly for a majority of the year. I was confident in myself. Um, I felt I was healthy. My body felt really good, especially at the end of the season. My body felt better than it did when I was leading stream training. Um, and just like the, over the whole year, how I I was able to to get better and I was learning, I was able to learn and, 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 uh, and develop, you know. So the consistency of just, gosh, I, don't, I don't know the one word that can describe it all, but the consistency that I, I, I was confident in my performance, just something along those lines um, and that feeling that I had about it, I would just think, okay, if I can feel like this and I can kind of remain as close to that as possible and I can remain consistent like that and keep throwing the ball I want and keep my body feeling good, the good things are going to happen down the road. So, I'm, I mean – Next season, it'd be really easy for me to go in and, and and try to recreate the the numbers I had, you know, the the ERA and the, just everything, the WHIP, what, whatever whatever it is. But that I gotta make make sure that that's not my goal, and just kind of like the feeling that I had. So as long as I can keep that feeling, this stuff will happen. He is
1: John Duplantier, the number two ranked prospect in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, according to MLB Pipeline. And you can find John on Twitter at dupedup underscore. There it is. Um, If you are looking for an indication of how John's D-backs organization teammates feel about his 2017, Sam McWilliams, a teammate with Class A Kane County, tweeted last week, quote, 2017 offseason plan. Call at dupe. There it is every day and do what he's doing. So that's pretty good. Seems like a smart idea. (laughs) <laughs> John this has been fantastic man Congratulations on a, on a heck of a breakout year Enjoy every minute of tonight uh, In Phoenix getting honored for, uh, for your work and, and best of luck we'll be talking to you down the road Alright thank you Well, big thanks again to John Duplantier. And with that, we are headed to Greenville, South Carolina, in the home of the 2017 Minor League Baseball promo seminar. That is where we find Benjamin Hill in an inward-facing hotel room. Hi, Ben.
3: And in an inward-facing mood. Very reflective good. and introspective. <laughs> good.
1: That's good. That's a good time to catch you for uh, for an interview on the podcast. Well, tell us about the, uh, the 2017 promo seminar. We kind of covered the basics of what the promo seminar is last week. But what has this year's
3: been like for you? Well, you know, I think I've said this before, but, you know, these events follow formulas for sure. So if you've been to other seminars, which I imagine most listeners of the podcast haven't, um, you know, you're certainly familiar with the routine. But, um, you know, this the seminar takes place. Uh, most people got into town last night and then uh, three full days today being Tuesday and then Wednesday and Thursday and then uh, travel home Friday. So it's basically a work week long event, more or less. And, uh, you know, it takes place this time of year because, you know, the season has just ended. The last minor league game was, what, September 19th uh, with the AAA National Championship. And then a week later, people are here for the promo seminar. And, you know, that's purposeful. When the season's still fresh, it's an opportunity to get together and share ideas, um, you know, as people haven't really started planning for next year. But, you know, they're going to very soon. And it, really the planning starts now with this uh, idea sharing at the promo seminar. And uh, this year's event is in Greenville, South Carolina, home of the drive. So um, it's a very beautiful city. People have a lot of good things to say about Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, I suppose I do, too. So what have you learned so far on the first day? Like what
0: what has happened on this first day in terms of um, people putting together presentations and and stuff like that? That that's I know you're you have your own what on Thursday.
3: Yeah, my presentation is on Thursday where I kind of uh, go through my road trips and uh, make jokes and, you know, try to make people laugh and everything as well as educate them. But, um, yeah, today starts with a volunteer project. That's what the promo seminar usually starts with, you know, partnering with a local organization. Uh, this year we, uh, partnered with the friends of the Reedy river and, uh, the Reedy river, you know, runs, uh, in South Carolina, in Greenville, obviously, and, and right through the city in a lot of ways. And, uh, the Greenville drives mascot is named Reedy rip it, and he's a frog. So uh, the Reedy river, big part of Greenville. So uh, we went to the banks of the Reedy river and, uh, Cleaned up a lot of debris and trash and uh, then uh, planted uh, planted plants along the side of it. And, uh, you know, it was hot and uh, quite a lot of physical labor, but it was kind of fun to wait. Well, it was not fun to get up early in the morning, but it was fun to uh, do some physical labor early in the day and work up a good sweat uh, before the presentation style stuff started. And then, uh, you know, we gather in a ballroom and a bunch of people gave different presentations, you know, on different uh Different types of thing, you know, things, you know, dealing with social media. Most of the people who talk are, you know, front office members of teams. Eric Jurinko, who's the GM of the Drive, you know, that's the host team. He kicked off with a presentation, really, about you know the various successful things that the Drive do. Um, and then later in the afternoon, you know, you break into group therapy sessions, and uh, you can choose the track you want to attend, whether it's you know media relations and community, community relations or promos or operations. And uh, have more of a uh, informal idea sharing environment. So I just got back from one of those about uh, you know using your marketing dollars effectively and uh, how to pinpoint uh, you know free advertising or cheap advertising that kind of thing. So you know there's the term inside baseball, you know meaning uh, things that happen that are only germane to a certain uh, insider audience, really. And this is literally inside baseball for minor league baseball when it comes to, uh, you know, how the sausage gets made, how the product gets put together, sharing the ideas that work, the ones that don't work, and, uh, you know, coming back from this event and starting October with uh, planning the 2018 season because, uh, as you guys know, it takes a long time to get a a minor league season together with the promo calendar and uh, the sponsorship and all the things you have to do. Uh, It's a common question for anyone who works in baseball, what do you do in the offseason? But there's a lot to get done uh, for everyone, and especially if you work in a minor league front office.
1: Ben, you've been to a bunch of these and you have seen the way that teams have evolved and taken ideas from the promo seminar and implemented them and all that kind of stuff. And over the course of those years, connections get formed between different front offices, different people, different promotions, directors and all that type of stuff. What's it like watching, you know, you come back for the 2017 promo seminar and you see a lot of the same people that you've seen in seasons past, watching how everybody has kind of grown over the course of these. What's that been like for you?
3: Well, you know, at on one hand it's great to be in a room with people who know my work well and appreciate it because, you know, the season ends and you know, I live in New York City and no one really knows or cares about what I do on a day to day level as I go about my life and that's fine. I don't expect that. But it's very nice personally to be around people who connect with what I do and understand it and who I've visited and to um, you know, make those connections. And and you know, if you work in minor league baseball there's you know, as you guys know, there's a lot of movement, almost like the players uh, as you're trying to build a career. Um, it's a tough industry to make it go in, and um, if you're really committed, you'll probably change locations throughout uh, the first couple years of your career as you try to get promotions and uh, try to find the best fit. So, you know, the promo seminar and the winter meetings really do function as the only two times when everyone can really get together and see former coworkers. Um, hang out with, of course, current coworkers in a different uh, combination. Meet new people. See, you know, their colleagues from the league, you know, X, Y, and Z, and uh, that is important because obviously everyone during the season is comparatively far flung, as well as uh, in most cases supremely busy.
0: And do you feel like there's any type of specific buzz or like buzzwords that are going around that have been different about this promo seminar? You know, on the ground, I know it's only been one day, but um, any you know, themes that you can kind of put together out of what's going on there on the ground so far?
3: You know, if we were talking at the end of the week, I might might have a good answer for that. Right now, after day one of three, um, you know, a lot of stuff has been talked about already, but not anything enough to congeal into a theme in terms of uh, recognizing specific marketing tactics, theme nights, or just general trends in the industry, or just general feelings about how the season went. Um... No, no, no themes have developed yet, but I will be on the lookout for themes and ready to talk about themes if and when they emerge.
0: I feel like that's like a that's like a promo of what's to come then. That's just kind of like a look, follow Ben for what what the theme will be at the end of the week. I want a one word theme by the end of the week. I guess that's what I'm saying, Ben. All right, it's
3: Sam, if you're if you're asking for it, then then that's what will be delivered because you don't ask for much, and, and I respect your request, so uh, you're <laughs> going to get that. There we go.
1: Benjamin Hill, you can find him on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. You can also find the promo seminar on Twitter as well. Uh, that is at promo seminar, and you can follow all the uh, the latest developments from the Hyatt Greenville, or is it the Greenville Hyatt? Um, I don't know. One I don't know. The other. Is the other. <laughs> Not that <that's laughs> one just one like the other.
0: that would tear apart baseball Twitter. Not the yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: This is <laughs> how we break things down in baseball Twitter. But Ben's down there, he'll be down there this week and uh and you can follow along with the twenty seventeen promo seminar. And then in twenty eighteen, you can reap all the rewards from the twenty seventeen promo seminar as a fan who gets to enjoy all the stuff concocted in that crazy laboratory. Ben, uh we'll we'll recap it next week, man. Thanks. Enjoy it.
3: Yeah, thanks. Looking forward to talking about it. And there is a promo seminar hashtag if you're really into this uh industry stuff, M-I-L-B-P-S and uh, also check out hashtag TwitterlessDannyWild as Danny Wild uh, a good uh, friend and coworker of mine, Jack of all trades, is here as the official on-site photographer so I'm trying to encourage people to take photos of Danny Wild in the wild when he's taking photos of other people check out hashtag TwitterlessDannyWild and thank you guys very much
1: Big thanks to John Duplantier. Big thanks to Benjamin Hill, and uh, our thanks to you for tuning in. We got no MILB.tv TV to preview. We uh, next week we'll get a chance to take a look at our 2017 Milby Award contenders. But we don't uh, we don't really have anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's gonna <laughs> be plenty. I mean th- there are so many categories every year uh, that we we can always break down. I think that's the year we joke. Maybe this year yet we actually do it. That we'll wear like tails and do like a yeah. real. Award presentation Wait, ceremony. You've
1: been joking this whole time. I do it.
0: Oh, I just said that for your protection. Oh, thought, okay, okay. I no thought goodness. you were not
1: wearing the. No, I, no. I bought I bought a late nineteenth century tuxedo and a top hat, and I wear it all the time.
0: Oh, see, my suit is just made out of Milby logos. Oh, that's it's even cool. It's a cooler. Milby print tux. Yeah, I like it.
1: So, Sublimated. We <laughs> As we know, the specialty jerseys can't be. Um. All right, <laughs> Sam Dykstra. <laughs> I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you guys next week.